The Gospel reading today was from the 10th chapter of Mark, verses 17 through 27. In our Gospel reading today, we encounter a zealous young man who, upon seeing Jesus walking along the road with his disciples, begins running after him and then blocks his path by kneeling directly in front of him and asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. Obviously, though claiming to have faithfully kept all the commandments since he was a youth, he realized that the doing of all these things was not the means by which he might obtain that eternal life. We are told that Jesus beheld him and loved him, evidently pleased with the young man's fervency and devout adherence to the law. And since the young man had asked, Jesus willingly told him that there was but one thing that he lacked. One can imagine the enthusiasm and exhilaration that the young man must have experienced upon hearing the master claim that there was only one obstacle, but a single barrier that stood between his possession of eternal life and the treasures of heaven. He was young and full of energy and self-assurance. So no matter what that one thing might be, he was certain he would be able to accomplish it. And because he was rich, having great possessions, and as we are told elsewhere, holding a position of prominent standing within the community, so it was most likely that he would have the means by which he could acquire whatever it might be. What would the Master say? What could it be that he lacked? The young man waited anxiously while Jesus tells him that which is needed. And the next thing we observe is the youth sadly walking away, grieved, most probably shaking his head and mumbling to himself. But we need to leave this scene for a short while. And as we do, take note of the disciples once again standing around astonished at Jesus' words, and of the young man wandering off along the same road he so hurriedly ran down earlier, and focused rather on a much older man, a man who lived to be a hundred and twenty years of age, to he who was the original giver of those same commandments that the younger man claimed he had so diligently kept. I am speaking obviously of the patriarch Moses, he who authored Psalm 90 our Old Testament reading for today. In this psalm, he reminds us that a thousand years in the sight of God are but as yesterday when it is past, that man is as the grass that grows in the morning and in the evening is cut down and withers, and that one day we shall all return to dust. His message is irrefutably crystal clear. Our time here on earth is so short, so tenuous, so fragile and so precarious that we should ask God to teach us to number our days. Not our years, mind you, but our days, for they are so very, very few. It is most amazing that man must pray that God give him the wisdom to number his days. Is there not sufficient evidence all around us to make us sense our frailty, our own mortality, without need of a supernatural impartation? Evidently not. We need to pray to God to give us the wisdom to value the time He has given us, to seek the wisdom to understand why we have it. We need the wisdom to see beyond our own lives. 
our day-to-day -day activities, our restricted concept of time, our false values, our limited perspective, our self-centered universe to the end that we can find God, that He will be our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. For there shall surely come that day when we shall be separated at once from all temporal and earthly objects. The relations which we now sustain to such objects and the connections which now bind us to them will be entirely and forever dissolved and this world will no longer be our habitation. Most people find it comfortably convenient to forget that their existence here is transitory and prefer to live in what I would call a self-induced altered state of consciousness, indulging themselves in those activities and relationships that will keep them in forgetfulness. They live in a state of denial and insensibility to the meaning of their life, never numbering their days, never applying their hearts unto wisdom, and then act like a deer caught in the headlights when death arrives at or near their doorstep, wondering how it could be, how the inevitable became an unavoidable reality. But this threescore years and ten that Moses says is soon cut off, that so many idolize and worship, is not really life, according to Jesus. For he said that he came that we might have life, thereby intimating that it is not something we already possess, and that we might have it more abundantly, not an abundance of things, externals, of outward creature activity, but of life, a new life, a different existence, the state of being that exists not in time, but in God. It is what Jesus referred to as being born again, eternal life where they shall never perish. He says that he has been given the power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to those who follow him. And this is life eternal, that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the mediator of that life. Know God, not know of him or about him, but know him intimately, we in him and he in us by his Holy Spirit, through unity with him in his resurrection, forming a union which death itself cannot dissolve. Though it is almost impossible to do so, we must understand that eternity, eternal life, is more than the endless extension of time, either forwards or backwards. In fact, eternity has no relationship whatsoever to time. It is a mode of existence that is not bound by a measuring of linear events, a succession of moments. Eternity is, in reality, God himself. Time as we know it is a creation of God. It is that which we now exist in and in which he interjects himself. It is his workbench which he uses to form Christ within us. But he himself exists in one eternal now. That is why he described himself to Moses as, I am, for he is uncreated without beginning or end and has life in and of himself. 
Yes, there shall come a day for each and every one of us, and neither you nor I know when it shall be, when the world will no longer be our habitation. In that same moment, our houses, our land, all our precious possessions, which we have labored, toiled, exhausted all our energies to acquire, shall be separated from us, will no longer be our property, and in truth, would be of no use to us anyway, not where we're going, one way or another. One moment after our death, they will no more be ours than if we had never possessed them. The richest and the poorest of us will then be reduced in this respect to a perfect equality. And the false criteria by which we measure one's worth, the inane standards we employ to judge one person to be better, to be more acceptable, to be, though we won't use the term, more valuable than another, will be utterly and forever removed. Of all our possessions, nothing will remain to us except the necessity of accounting for them to our judge who shall be standing before us and of bearing the consequences of the manner in which we have used those possessions. And that brings us back to the bewildered disciples and the rich young man and the question of how he used his possessions. Jesus answered his question that day by revealing to him the one thing that he lacked, selling whatsoever he had, giving to the poor, and taking up the cross and following him. Now this might sound like more than one thing, but this is the point you must see, the heart of the matter that which the disciples could not comprehend. The selling of his possessions and giving to the poor were nothing more than the means of removing that which bound him to this passing, transient world, that which he had placed his trust in, that which he derived his life and identity from and had to be sacrificed, done away with, that he might apply his heart to wisdom that he might be able to do the one thing that he truly lacked, and that was taking his cross and following Jesus, to begin partaking of the eternal life that was being offered to him. Don't make the same mistake that this rich young man, and unfortunately many who hear about him do, and focus on the riches. Jesus did not say for him to sell what he had and give to the poor that he might inherit eternal life but that by doing so, he might then be able to follow him. Jesus explains that for those who have riches, because of their trust in those riches, it is impossible for most to enter the kingdom of God. Though he sought after it, the rich young man did not understand what eternal life is, or to be more accurate, who eternal life is. He failed to recognize that he was kneeling before the very one who in truth is not only the way by which eternal life is obtained, but is that eternal life. For as Jesus has told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life.